why can't we stop centering conversations and our identities around work? There are so, so many other cool aspects of me outside my job. And that's where I'm trying to focus the joy right now. Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realizing you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself. And if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora everyone and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today I am joined by Nina Santos looking at the bigger picture of imposter syndrome, how this phenomenon is driven by a deeply entrenched system of bias and discrimination and it's not simply a confidence issue for the individual and in fact it's hardly an individual issue at all but then how do we as individuals continue to thrive in our work environments and our personal lives while also understanding the pressures that are at play around imposter syndrome that we can't control as well. Nina is currently the advocacy and communications manager at the YWCA Tamaki Makoro. She has led initiatives in the gender at work community where she helps organizations achieve gender equality. She's also the delivery manager for the Mind the Gap campaign, a very, very, very successful national campaign that I was well aware of around pay transparency and addressing gender and ethnic pay gaps. Her work has been imperative in shifting the narrative around pay discrimination. And if that wasn't enough for you, she was also a semi-finalist for Young New Zealander of the Year in 2023. But as you'll learn within this episode, we like to recognise people for things beyond milestones and achievements and celebrate the person they are in their core. And Nina is very much a representation of a thoughtful, curious and empathetic mind who I am so lucky to have on this podcast today. I'm a big fan of Nina's book reviews on her Instagram as well as her baking Insta. Nina tries to bake which I would highly recommend you go and follow because she cooks up some of the meanest looking food uh, as well as reads some really really insightful interesting books some of which we share at the end and some of which I have also read myself she is someone I will always take those recommendations from I'm so grateful to have had Nina's time today as you know through so many of the guests we've had on recently these people are busy changing systems and creating a better world for people specifically in Aotearoa and beyond and it is yeah just always such an honor to have any of them on and Nina today to have her make the time to talk to us about something that so many of us can relate to is something that adds a lot of depth and richness to the value that can be taken away from the One Up Project podcast. So welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Let's introduce Nina and let's get into some goodness. Nina, what an honor to have you here on the One Up Project podcast today. You have been on my radar for quite some time. How are you? Kia ora, mabuhay Sarah. I am literally so excited for this and just so, first of all, on- honored that you invited me, but also super excited to have a Kororo because like, I've been admiring you from a, a distance for a bit, <laughs> so <laughs> her alert, and I'm, I'm, I just love your work and I love the pod, so thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. No, that's a massive compliment, and I was actually just about to say that you have been uh, a bit of a silent mentor to me in so many ways, and I say silent because you would not know the influence, you know, your words and the impact and um, the things you've said have had on me, and I've had the real privilege of being able to watch and listen to you on a few different, you know, videos, podcasts, um, panels, webinars now. And it's really, really cool that you've taken the time to jump on here and share your perspective with us. So as the people will know now through the intro and through the brief um, of what this episode was going to be about, we're talking about the concept of imposter syndrome and you in particular, Nina, have a very thoughtful way of talking about this. On one of the panels I listened to you on, you had a few thoughts and quotes that I'll refer to throughout the episode. But I suppose the way I'd like to kick this off before we even talk about how you approach it or what you think of it, like, how would you describe what imposter syndrome is to you? It's really become kind of like a buzzword, buzz phrase 
amongst Gen Z or generation millennials are like. And the simple way that I define it is really that nagging feeling um, that you're a fraud. And it usually comes with a fear of suddenly being exposed that you are in fact a fraud and you're not actually as smart or as good as you claim to be and that your successes don't mean anything. So that's kind of like the general um, overview. And it's it's really interesting, like as we, as we discuss, um, I think it's really important to start reframing what imposter syndrome actually is, as well as the real roots of it, that I think. Because um, at the moment, it's very much positioned as like a confidence problem. Like if you have imposter syndrome or you experience imposter syndrome, um, people view it as like an individual issue when I don't think it really is. So you see it more as a societal issue? Yeah. So one of the questions, so I was talking to a friend um, a little while ago about, you know, how she's experiencing such intense imposter syndrome in her current role with quite a flashy title. And I was like, is it really imposter Mm. syndrome or is it like, the manifestation of the impacts of like white supremacy, racism, um, racial capitalism that has devalued the work of women and brown bodies. Um, It's a culmination of all of those things. So in recent years, I want to say years, but honestly, it's been a journey. I'd say months. In recent recent months, I've kind of done a lot of internal work to reframe my experiences of quote-unquote imposter syndrome and just shifting um, shifting it to a more societal view, like looking at the bigger picture. And I think that despite what society and mainstream media tells us, um, imposter syndrome is not an individual's confidence problem. Mm. It's positioned as one, but it's actually a, pro- a societal issue that's rooted in capitalism. Capitalism... Mm to be successful and to continue operating needs us to feel inadequate all the time so that we continue Mm. with the hustle culture and continue striving for endless progress and to be constantly better, work harder, you know, (laughs) Um, and make more money and maintain that system. When, When I think about it, this is one of my reflections as well. Women, especially women of color (laughs) that I know, are more prone to imposter syndrome than anyone else. So, mm. is evidence? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Why is that? Why? Why else would it be um, a majority marginalized communities or women of color in this particular example that feel this way? If it was simply just down to individual confidence levels, exactly. Um, and and that's the point, right? Like it's. That's the problem when we like continue to classify imposter syndrome as a person's confidence issue. Like, oh, to solve it, just mm. be more confident. Obviously, it doesn't work because the whole system is designed to make women, women of color, marginalized communities feel inadequate and to devalue their work um, and their accomplishments. Mm. A big thing that we're missing and we're blindsided about, like, Okay, let's put it into one specific context, right? Imposter syndrome at work, which I still feel a lot of the time. Um, mm. when, we, when someone tells me, oh my gosh, like I'm just experiencing immense imposter syndrome. I don't think I'm meant to be here. Or there must have been some sort of mistake. Something I always tell myself. We're not discussing the deeply seated you know, biases in workplaces mm. that drive those mindsets and behaviors, that's deeply problematic. Because <laughs> then women kind of just like, it's a cycle of gaslighting. So women mm. do the work, achieve these great things, but then constantly battle with the fear of kind of being discovered as a fraud. And then they think it's an, a confidence problem and then they watch like empowering shows and read empowering books telling them that to get over the imposter syndrome you just have to be more confident 
they think they're the problem. So it's kind of like an institutional gaslighting in a way. And another totally. way, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how I. Uh, that's how I class it as. You've explained that so well, and you know what it's giving. Nina, you're reminding me of like the Oprah um, interview with Meghan Markle where she's like, were you silent or were you silenced? Because it's like, is it confidence or is it the insecurity of capitalism? Like that's like the vibe it's giving me. Yeah. (laughs) Is it your confidence or is it the real life impact? Okay. Is it confidence or is it the real life cumulative impacts of capitalism, um, Mm. racism? and white supremacy Mm, mm. unfortunately the logical solution for that people tend to move towards that you've just touched on is people internalizing that issue as something they need to solve for themselves through a switch of mindset but one that doesn't solve the issue for future times when this happens and it doesn't improve the issue societally like uh, on a large scale for our communities either. The the thing is like two truths can exist at once, right? Like two movements mm. can happen at the same time. So we do need more people to acknowledge like the wider driving factors of the so-called imposter syndrome phenomenon and its roots. But we also, of course, like at work, um, you kind of just need like temporary band-aid solutions to get over that fear of being exposed mm. as fraud. Um, so a lot of an advice I often hear from you know remarkable women as well is fake it till you make it because none of us really don't know what we're doing and as long as you get get over that um, like once you kind of get over the fear you're good to go in a way that's not wrong right like I I take that advice sometimes as well like I just fake it till I make it Feel the fear, do it anyway, you know, range of inspirational quotes. But like you said, it doesn't really, until we start talking about the real drivers, it won't solve the problem. Like future generations and women entering the workforce, marginalized communities entering the workforce will still keep feeling the imposter syndrome (laughs) because, Mm. yeah, we've made it as a them problem. Have there been times in your career where you have done the fake it till you make it thing and you felt like this genuinely worked for you like honestly uh, the feeling of being a fraud still strikes me like every week so yes I Mm. do do sometimes fake it till I make it I think I have done a lot of work to unlearn a lot of the self-talk that I've been giving myself especially throughout my childhood another concept that I want to talk about is the grateful migrant effect so it's kind of this like phenomenon. Migrants who usually migrate from less economically developed countries, like what some academics would say, third world or developing countries, are often made to feel really grateful for having the bare minimum at their new homelands. This mindset is dangerous because it makes us more prone to withstanding exploitative situations. It sounds like there would be a lot of guilt and shame around asking for more when you just want to be treated as well as the average person in that space you've moved into. Yeah. And so I think think going back to your question, right, like the fake it till you make it, has that worked for me? Yes, I have taken on that advice, but I've also had to unlearn a lot of that self-talk and a lot of the feelings that come with the grateful migrant effect that which kind of tells me you know just be grateful like don't Mm. ask don't rock the boat too much um because you know it could be worse if you're still in the philippines it could be worse but Mm. the kind of mindset can be really dangerous for migrant other marginalized communities because it just it it stops us from you know, challenging the status quo and really fighting for what's right and what's just. I've had to also, it's been a whole journey of trying to kind of just back myself, I think, believe in my work. And despite (laughs) what the system of racial capitalism implies, my work 
is actually valued and I know that you know I always have the best intention intentions at heart and I always try my best to deliver on what I say I'm gonna do and that itself is enough it seems so difficult to approach or move on or thrive within an issue that is so uh, inbuilt in the way that society structures, especially in more developed economies. Um, But while also trying to thrive within that, while also acknowledging that it's, even though it's not an individual problem, it's still a challenge for the individual. And so you as an individual has to now learn how to work within that um while knowing that there's still pressures or challenges against you that you actually can't change just on your own and so when you talk about you know getting to the point of believing in your work it I'd be so curious to hear from you how that journey has gone in terms of trying to wrestle with those two opposing forces while keeping focused on the impact you're trying to have you put it so beautifully sarah thank you so much um that was so well put and i couldn't have said it better myself um so yeah this oh my gosh the journey of trying to you know convince yourself that your work matters and um Mm. not a fraud I'm going to acknowledge first the privilege attached to what I'm going to say next. But one of them is um, really surrounding myself with good people. Um, And I'm thinking about work when I say this, right? Because I have worked in a couple of really toxic uh, workplaces. And I'm now really lucky to find myself in one with people and with a manager that genuinely believes that my work is great and like borderline iconic (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so you know hearing those words of affirmations all the time is it's really great number one it's really great for my confidence which then Mm -hmm. has domino effect because it, it encourages me to keep doing the work and keep researching keep pushing for the changes that are needed um it just emboldens me to speak truth to power and like take up, you know, spokesperson roles that I normally wouldn't because I then have this belief that I have to do this because it's too important not to. And in direct contrast, I think about past workplaces that haven't been quite right for me. Um, I love how you put that very diplomatic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm just trying so hard to like not trash <laughs> diplomacy. I love it. Um, <laughs> yes. So, in, in in direct contrast, I think about situations and times where I haven't been surrounded by you know kind of people who get it. Um, mm. And it was the complete opposite. Like I I always kind of had this fear that I always second guessed myself. I was always kind of scared to put something forward. I was mm. always scared to sound stupid and ask questions mm. in the fear of sounding like I actually don't know what's going on and I'm a fraud. Mm. Um, so those little things can really make a difference. And outside of work, really, really good friends. Like the process, <laughs> the long, long process of... Um, curating your friend group and like people who are around you is so so transformational and I literally saw this thing on TikTok that like you know if you're not you're not getting better and you're not maturing if you're not losing friends hmm. um, and I can I think I can definitely attest to that like as the years have gone and I think I've found more and more of my people you know people who really believe in the mahi and really believe in the value I can add um Mm. now I just want to go like you know let's fight we ride till dawn as my friend Mm. would say (laughs) because (laughs) (laughs) 
because we get so caught up in kind of like the days to days of life we the effect that the energies of people have on us gets kind of lost and it's mm-hmm. not until you remove yourself from a toxic situation or you remove a toxic person that you realize like oh, oh my god that was that kind of energy and those kind of words and those kind of mindsets were really weighing me down hmm. um and oh my gosh it's like you know baptism through fire like i have had it's been a journey of kind of finding out who the real ones are and which people are like good for me and my confidence and my and who have been like good for my my mental health mm. um but yeah that, that's a practical tip, tip i can give like really really curate the people in your life and you know at the start of it i acknowledge my privilege because i understand that a lot of people you know job hopping changing jobs has a huge privilege attached to it like there are so many people i know people our age who still describe their jobs as being in the trenches, but they can't really quit because, you know, they they may be the breadwinner in their family, as am I, mm. or they're trying to climb a ladder. Um, so if you, another practical advice to attach to that would be, if you can't quite curate, if you can't choose your work environment right now, number one, stay strong, but also try curate the people outside of work. Because those are the mm. people who are really going to hold you down and, you know, make you mm. believe I've been waiting for an opportunity to bring up this quote that I heard from Nina probably four or five months ago now. And it has been stuck in my mind ever since because it made me both simultaneously crack up but also feel so empowered. And and I don't know if you know what quote I'm about to say, but it was um, at the Y25 Noho and you said, let the bridges I burn light the way. And it was just so iconic. Such an iconic quote. I literally, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you quoted that because I literally love saying that. Because <laughs> as, a, like, I'm, you know, as a serial people pleaser in recovery, um, cutting people off is like easy to say on an Instagram story, but mm. really hard to do in real life. Totally. Um. Especially because, you know, sometimes people you really love um, don't mean well for you, like aren't good for you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's tough. So that's really the best we can hope for. Like, may the bridges we burn light the way. Oh, I could not agree more. It takes takes so much emotional... um, commitment and it's painful and it takes time as well to not only like work out who you are and what kind of friendships you need in your life but then how to find those people when you are looking for them and especially I think this is probably a common issue that a lot of young people in particular have is like finding like-minded people once you're in the world and you're kind of in a workplace and you have your routine and you have your structure and it's like, okay, now what do I do to actually find those people? I'm so glad you brought that up because we don't talk about that enough. Like I see on TikTok, Mm. people hosting dinner parties with the girls, with their friends, (laughs) a solid friend group. They go on international trips and I'm like, who is finding these friends? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It's so real. Um, and saying that my friends if you're listening to this I do love you but it is hard <laughs> like, to get out of that bubble like once your routine is set like I literally just applaud and salute people who like have the energy and bandwidth to have a social life outside of work because after work oh, you get out. seriously it's not happening you're preaching so- to the choir and I, I work remotely I work alone and I still feel like that <laughs> So, yeah, we're here. It's a tough one, but, you know, we'll get there one day. Something that has really helped me um, in that way in terms of meeting more like-minded people, and this is probably not an accessible tip in in many ways, but I'll share it anyway because I think that um, it's probably important to highlight if people are curious about how I've done that in terms of finding mentors or like-minded people is sharing more 
um, of my life, like on one up, it has just been the biggest blessing in my life to find people who I align with. And mm. I haven't even had to be this polarizing, controversial figure to do it. I've just had to share a little bit or contribute a bit of vulnerability um, to the world so that someone might resonate with that and then that starts a conversation and I think that being open to experiences that might uh, test you and be confronting can often be the times which this podcast for me in so many ways is and it is a challenge because I take like the conversations I have very seriously and I try to really implement a lot of what I hear um in not only my own life but in my conversations and discussions with other people and doing that helps open you up to so many uh, voices, perspectives, communities, spaces that you didn't think you would belong to in air quotes necessarily but you actually find so much within that, so much depth within that. Yes. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, it's it's crazy, yeah, because like we sometimes we're all just in our own bubble and totally. like yeah so that's such a good insight and I, I love that for you thank you yeah I, I feel so grateful to have this podcast and um and I suppose it makes having conversations about things like you know imposter syndrome for example so much easier to feel less alone about because you know you're you're someone as well who's willing to come and share your story and your perspective on this um and hopefully so many of the people that listen to this find that community um, within spaces like this or events or things that are held around that um, because it is hard and it does take time and it does take investment. Um, and so many of us are dealing with so many different things anyway that just trying to find people to go through it with is like just another thing on top of, of the list of stuff we already have to worry and care about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I just hope that, like, whoever's listening to the pod kind of realizes that, you know, solidarity, sister, like, I know Mm. that it's not a you problem. It's a systemic issue that, you know, we really, really need to address and confront. And, um, Mm. yeah, it's it's definitely not just you. And it's not your fault either. That's the thing. Mm, preach I think that an interesting uh part of this journey is like okay we're navigating overcoming an issue that is a societal issue and we're trying to thrive within a system that may not be catered towards Mm. us much of the time um, but we also want to recognize and acknowledge our own achievements and find space to be proud of ourselves within that and you, Nina, are someone who has done incredible things. You are iconic. Your work is iconic. You have contributed so much uh, to so many different spaces and to so many different people. And so how do you, do you, and I, I hope you do, recognize your own achievements and be proud of yourself? That question, that part has always been a struggle because, you know, I've always been classed as the, the bossy one growing up. And my dad recently told me, like, we were organizing a fundraising together. And he was like, I never realized that I raised a Monica Geller. So, like, I have a very, oh. <laughs> I have very Monica Geller-like traits. I love that. I'm rewatching Friends at the moment and I love Monica. So, <laughs> such From a vibe. Um. <laughs> In, in some ways, yes, I, I am a bit of a quote-unquote control freak. Um, so being that bossy kid, trying to grapple with ideas that, you know, women should always be humble, like you shouldn't be too, you shouldn't brag, you shouldn't be too loud. Um, it's kind of hard to celebrate your achievements in that context. So something that's really helped me is, again, being around good people who, like, who knows that I love celebrating my achievements. Like, you know, I love, like, let's just be real. Like, I'm never a low-key kind of person. I'm always a very extra person. And so the, my mm-hmm. family, love them. 
know that. And so when something happens, even if it's a little win, they always make sure to try and celebrate me through, you know, lots of words of affirmations. It doesn't necessarily have to be a party all the time, but just through loving words of affirmation. It's like, you know, marking the win as a win is really, it's really an emboldening thing in itself. Mm. Um, so that helps me celebrate my, celebrate my achievements. And also just seeing the eldest daughter thing, seeing the happiness in my parents' eyes and in my loved ones' eyes, everything, something good happens. Um, and just being able to share that win with them makes it even more special. Um, and that to me is kind of like a, a big driving force um, of why I do the work. And, you know, I, I want to keep having those moments and I love celebrating mm. those achievements because what's like literally everything I have ever done and ever achieved is just a big kudos to like my family and all all their sacrifices to get me here the people who like backed me and believed in me so you know the the collective literally that made it happen mm. um, but the other part of that question is that um you know celebrating my achievements is one thing but alongside that it's actually the process of detangling my happiness and joy from my achievements, especially my work achievements. Mm. Because I've always been, uh, as a type A, <laughs> recently diagnosed ADHD-er, <laughs> I've always tied my worth and my happiness to my goals and the things that I'd achieved professionally. And mm. literally, I'm I'm a I have a very very strong bias for action and goals. Like at the start of the year, I list out my goals. At the end of the year, I review them, take out which ones I did, which ones I didn't, and then do this like full review. Mm, <laughs> um, I love it. So it it's actually it's been a really really liberating process to really just f capitalism and try focusing my happiness on things that aren't work. And things that aren't mm. special achievements. And that's easier said than done, right? Because, you know, especially if you're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is so bad for my mental health. Seriously. <laughs> I'm happy for people, especially ha- happy for the girls. But at the same time, like seeing everyone's kind of like professional achievements. Like at such a rapid pace. is kind of just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? Mm. Um, so stepping out from that. Focusing on just being and the joy mm. of kind of showing up as who I am. Like, the good parts of me just as a human being and not the good parts of my CV. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Preach. Like- yeah. Isn't that cool? Like, I, I literally hate, like, one of my biggest icks and one of the things that I'm trying to change is that when you go out at a networking event, hate them, the Thing people, the first thing people always ask you is, um, so what do you do? I don't want to send, why can't we stop centering conversations and our identities around work? Like, that's a very capitalist thing as well. Like, yeah, mm. like, please introduce yourself to me by what company you work for or like. Yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> there are still so many other cool aspects of me outside my job. Mm. And that's where I'm trying to focus the joy right now. You've really helped me shape my perspective on something. And I almost want to remove my last question, but it only serves the the growth that I've had in the last couple of minutes, which um, is that I often ask that question. Well, I don't often ask the question, but if I'm framing a question around celebrating you, it usually is milestone and achievement related even if it's not career specific it might be okay you you got a house how are you celebrating that okay you saved this much how are you celebrating that like it's always based around these milestones of getting somewhere and it's weird that I do that because my definition of success is completely unrelated to milestones and achievements my definition of success is a consistent pursuit of being the best person I can be it's a day after day choice to be a good human like that's my success and so I don't know why I ask it and you've like that and you've helped me develop my opinion on this in terms of celebrating ourselves 
as we are and as we choose to show up consistently as opposed to celebrating ourselves for the things we get, which only serve, as you've said, the progress that is represented by capitalism being getting this or getting that or moving up the ladder or whatever. Um, yeah, you've helped me shape my opinion on that. And I, I think it's really important to to celebrate just being and showing up and in line with what you had said previously about how you do that the celebration comes with being able to share that with your community as well and you guys all being able to just be together and if you've curated that space and those people you can all just be knowing that you do live in that constant pursuit of being a better person or or growing in a way that is causing a positive change for the world yeah I literally cannot add anything else to that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that perspective. And Latavia has brought this up to me before, I think, actually. She was maybe, and maybe it's just a why thing, because I've heard a lot of you at the why talk about this concept of the the work there is work and there is effort and there is success in just showing up as you. Um, and I think that's a concept that is not spoken about as much as it should be, but it's not popularized in the way that I wish it was because, of course, we still live in a world that, that values like moving forward and progressing, blah, 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 which so many of us are now trying to push against, which I love um, so much. But I do have another question around for you. You spoke about being seen as being bossy as a kid and that kind of being the perception of of you that maybe wasn't 100% accurate to like who you actually are in terms of natural leadership abilities and things like that. But often, you know, that (laughs) that is true, Nina. (laughs) Literally, you reminded me of the Oprah meme again. It's like, are you bossy? Are you just a natural (laughs) (laughs) well i mean (laughs) the question is worth exploring (laughs) yeah an even bigger question would be like is she bossy or are you just like so so deeply entrenched in the patriarchy that you think any woman stepping up to a leadership position is too much totally exactly and I, I was just going to add on to that and say something you'd said before was, you know, where women typically are valued when they're humble and that low keyness equals being humble, right? Staying kind of not hidden, but just, still, you know, staying below the, not being loud and, and showing up in this extravagant high key way. But you've said naturally you are someone that prefers to be high key and to celebrate like that which I think is a great thing and but then women also tread this line of trying to and what feels like a very very thin line sorry guys I'm really trying to articulate my thoughts well here but I know it's a bit of a mess so for you how do you navigate trying to be the most confident version of yourself while also grappling with the pressures of staying humble or being low-key as again a recovering people placer there is great power in just in knowing when to stop caring um like external validation is like something like let's be real we all in a way kind of crave it like i find myself really really getting anxious like if people don't like me or if like someone gives like criticism if i feel that like there will be internal resistance i will really really struggle to grapple with that um and so that then just starts the cycle of like anxiety and like wanting to do the most um and which is not healthy for me or for anyone so it may not be practical advice but something that i I'm trying myself to do more of is to just stop caring about that external validation. People, no matter how you show up in the world, people will always have something to say. Like if, if like, you know, I have a good sense of self-belief and I start believing in my work to some people, it might be classed as arrogance. 
And to some people, it might be inspiring confidence. So mm. you really, people's reaction to you is just something you cannot control. And trying to control that will eventually result in failure. So that's my advice, right? Number one, pick your battles. Know when to not care. <laughs> mm. I'm not doing this right. Um, but also, I think at the end of the day, I I just show up as I am. And if something sticks, it sticks. Like, I, I have this belief that I will attract the right people. And I will, you know, the things I say and the work I do will be inspiring or helpful to the right people. And some people mm-hmm. will just find it antagonizing or too radical or too much. And those aren't my people. Mm. It sounds like you you live through your own definition of confidence. And if people perceive that loud confidence as a form of arrogance, then, I mean, absolutely, it's more of a reflection of, of them. Um, but it's not something that you should have to worry about which uh, brings me to another one of your quotes, which I've written down. I wrote this down when you first said it as well. Fuck likability. You said this at a, um, a panel I had the privilege of, of watching you on in person. And is that something, has that been a part of this journey of relying, or not relying, has this been a part of this journey of caring less about external validation? absolutely it has it has been and it's still an ongoing journey because you know we all want to be liked like i hate the feeling of someone not liking me um Mm. classic people placer that then spirals into a lot of anxiety (laughs) um and it really really is you know i hate saying this now but it really is a journey especially for I think particularly for women who have had a lot of societal expectations placed on them that they should always be prim and proper, always likable, don't upset too many people, don't appear as a shark because then people won't like mm-hmm. you, don't be a pushover because you know people will take advantage of you. Um, yeah, kind of just, it's really important to have the space, make the space to do the inner work and tell yourself that not everyone has to like you. And not everyone will. And mm. if I could get that tattooed, I will. I would. <laughs> it reminds me of a time uh, when I was working in a previous job. And I had a manager criticize something I'd done in a way that previously I would have felt really offended and upset by. But it didn't impact me on an emotional level. I didn't take it personally as an attack or a criticism of my ability. Uh, It was more, I just took it as a piece of feedback on that um, isolated piece of work. And that was a moment where I felt like I really had leveled up in a sense of not caring about what people think thought in a mm. way that was healthy for myself, but still also in a way that meant I could take on that feedback. It, it, had there been any examples for you, and it does not need to be a work-related example by any means, where you you felt like you had actually hit that point of not caring as much about external validation? Mm. Actually, before I answer that question, I kind of just want to attach like a little disclaimer or preface what I said previously about, you know, fuck likability. Because yes, I do inherently believe that. And that's a huge undertaking. But also, again, two truths can, two truths can exist at once. So it's fuck likability. Mm. Let's get rid of that, you know, obsession with external validation. But at the same time, it's really important to move in a way that builds trust and move mm-hmm. as a kind person. Um, and I think as long as you have the you you have the best intentions at heart and you always try not to be a douche, you'll be fine. <laughs> mm. uh, because yes, it's fine. It's all good and fine to say, "Oh, no, fuck likability. I don't care what anyone says." But if you're a genuinely terrible person, 
that's not good. <laughs> so, like, mm. move in a way that builds trust. Everything else will be okay. Mm. Mm. This question. Um, external validation. I am notorious for being really, really bad at receiving constructive criticism. And, you know, my current boss, who I love, has been really integral in helping me with this. And the way she described it was that um, maybe this is my law upbringing background. When someone gives me a criticism or like tells me it's like, oh, this happened, my tendency is to just swing the tennis ball right back. Like, oh, you're wrong. You've misunderstood me. Instead of kind of like finding the middle ground. Um, so that's something that I'm working on. And I'm very self-aware that literally, I'm literally that meme. Like, it's like, oh, can I give you constructive criticism? Like, yeah, but I'm already like crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's uh, one of the things I'm trying to improve on. Like kind of not taking everything so damn personally. And that's part mm. of the, you know, getting, moving away from likability as well. Um because people again will always have something to say and sometimes those people actually mean well especially in a work setting i'm a young person i'm very early into my career there's so much i have to learn and criticism is needed at this stage of my career um and it's kind of just about um both at work and outside of work having your circles of trust and knowing which advice and which people you care enough about and you trust enough to take advice from. Because mm. um, everyone will have feedback. Everyone will have something to say. You also kind of need to be selective of which ones you take on and which ones you let sit with you. And sometimes, mm. which ones will let upset you. Because mm. um, you should, like, that external validation, again, you won't get from everyone. But you also kind of have to decide for yourself which types of validation actually matter. It is so important to build those safe relationships with people where you can hear what they're saying for its ability to help you rather than its ability to hinder you. And I think that often there's... Like you say, two things can exist at once. I 100% believe that for every single situation that was to ever exist. And I think when it comes to feedback, um, especially, that's an interesting one because I think there's two roles to play in that the way someone gives you the feedback can absolutely um, impact the way that you receive it um, and whether or not you um, whether or not you react to that in a calm or a defensive way is a result of how that person gives the feedback as well as it is a result of how you feel about getting feedback as a whole and yeah. so when you have those trusting relationships with people which it sounds like you now have with with your existing manager which is amazing you're able to see which pieces of advice you should sit with or push back or upset you as you said so much clearer yeah yeah exactly so just to again um you discussed this earlier having good people around but also kind of literally doing an audit of your life and mm. finding out which people are on the inner circle so advice you always often take on which ones are on the outer circle and which ones are irrelevant because mm. you should literally not be taking advice from every single person who gives it to you. Like, and that's something mm. I've had to learn the, the hard way as well. So curate, 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 people. Mm. Curate. I love it. So many themes have come from this episode that I can't wait to share more about. Um, I could talk to you for a million hours nonstop, <laughs> Nina. So I won't take up too many more minutes of your time. But I do, do, do really want to touch on the fact that I follow your book reviews religiously. <laughs> Nina does these on her stories and I am such a fan. And so could you please share with us some standouts, recent reads over the last year that you would recommend to people? Okay. Oh my goodness. I, l I literally love this question. 
a book that I recently finished is Monsters, so by Claire Dederer, mm-hmm. and it kind of touches on, you know, the fangirl dilemma. Like, can we separate the mm. art? Like, um, so that that's been really good. I'm I'm literally just looking at my highlights now to see. Okay, here, some of my favorite book recommendations. Um, Work Won't Love You Back by Sarah Jaff is really, really good. A really, really good analysis of what's wrong with the labor market and how we devalue different groups of people and how our devotion to our jobs keeps us exhausted and alone. Another really good one, one of my favorite reads from last year was The Purpose of Power by Alicia Garza, um, who co-founded the Black Lives Matter um, movement. Mm. If I could do a third one, it would be Abolition Feminism Now. Mm. Um, really, I have read this. A really, really good book um, explaining how the um, prison system, the prison complex, needs to be abolished and how that should, that in itself is a movement that should be inbuilt to feminism. Um, and really, really good intersectional feminism analysis as well. So, mm. those are some of books that I'm loving that I loved in the past year at the moment I'm getting through I just started a good one and it's this book is booking it's called mediocre okay it's by the author who wrote so you want to talk about race another really good one but they talk about the dangerous uh, legacy of white male America mm. so watch this for the review Okay, amazing. I can't wait. I really appreciate that. I When you uh, did your kind of sum up of the books you'd read, I had written heaps of them down in my notes. So I can't wait to get to them. And I've read Abolition Feminism now um, and loved it as well. And I d- think very much um, contributed to my understanding of the importance of intersectionality and and how that influences problems and should influence solutions as well so echo everything you've said um but nina thank you so much for your time couldn't appreciate you more um for just being you not for any of the incredible milestones and achievements you've had thus far but just for being the person you are and you choose to show up as every single day so thank you for your time and you sarah thank you for having me it's been such an honor i love chatting with you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.